Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of podcasts. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. everyone, my name's Em and welcome to episode 11 of Verbal Diorama. Today we're going to be talking about a recently released movie. It's not often that I go to the recently released movies but this was something that I really wanted to watch and I really wanted to talk about and luckily for me the guests that I'm going to be introducing also wanted to talk about this particular movie. So I would like to welcome our guest. She is Chin Lin and she's from the Bingeables podcast. Hi Chin Lin. Hi Em, thank you for having me. You are welcome. Um, so when we talked originally about you coming on the show, it was it was really kind of Dark Phoenix that, that kind of brought us together uh, in that regard because I know you love the X-Men movies and I love the X-Men movies, and it just kind of seemed like a natural fit, really. So I'm really happy to have you on so we can talk about this movie, Um, and we're not really going to talk that much about the X-Men franchise, because there's a lot of movies in that franchise, Um, but we can talk a little bit about that if we've got time. Um, I know that you are a little bit time-restrained today so we're probably not going to be looking at another three hour episode which I'm sure everyone is completely thrilled with because normally (laughs) normally when I have a guest on it's around that sort of uh, time scale so just to kind of bring you up to speed Chin Lin what I do sort of before I start talking about whatever I'm going to talk about I just kind of briefly mention what I've been up to um, and to be honest, I've kind of been up to a reasonable amount. I've booked onto loads of uh, other shows for like guest slots. So I'm on Shuffle the Podcast in July with Kat. 
and I'm also booked on to Pulp Serial in August as well. Um, and also, um, hopefully next episode, fingers crossed if it's all ready, I'm going to be having some brand new podcast theme music. Um, so hope- oh, wow. I know, I'm really excited. I heard the first draft of it yesterday and it's so good. It's a proper song. Um, it's a proper verbal diorama song. <laughs> <laughs> and um and I'm really excited about it and we the lyrics haven't been finalized yet but basically she's like a proper songwriter so she knows how to write a song and and obviously I put forward some really cheesy uh, <laughs> some really cheesy song lyrics and she said yeah maybe we won't use those and I was like okay I trust you you're the pro um so yeah hopefully next episode but uh we shall see we shall see if if uh, if I can make that happen um so, Chin Lin, what have you been up to recently? Is there anything that you've got going on right now? Um, so we just finished our um, episodes on Neil Gaiman's Good Omens, um, which was on uh, Amazon Prime. So we're going to have our next binge coming up next week. So we're planning on recording that uh, later this weekend. And then next week in Dallas, which is where I live, uh, there's going to be an anime convention called Akon. It's been going on for like 30 years, wow. which I can't even believe. <laughs> um, so I'm going to be going to that. I don't normally go to anime conventions. I do like anime. I'm just, I'm not as into it as I was when I was younger. So it'll be nice to be in that environment again. And then I am going to have a guest spot with growing up millennial podcast i think sometime in august (gasps) so am i i forgot about that (laughs) i completely forgot about that yes i have one too nice do you know what your topic is uh i don't know yet because i originally was gonna do it in july but um it's going to be me and isaac talking about whatever topic that adriana wanted and we had a topic assigned and me and Isaac were thinking about it and we were like, well, we're not super passionate about this thing from the 90s. I think it'd be better if we told Adriana, hey, we're not super passionate and I'm sure you can find someone else to be a guest who would be really passionate about this yeah. and it'll be a better recording. So, well, we can wait until something better and obviously whatever Adriana can come up with for her August uh, topics. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot about that. That was, I literally don't know how I forgot. But yeah, that is on my list to do. And I think, I think it's at the end of July um, that I'm doing it. And yeah, because she sent me, she sent me the topic through. And it's something that I've never actually seen before, but I've always wanted to see. So I actually went and I bought the DVD because I don't obviously own it or anything. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I should say. Um, oh, no, no, it's fine. We can wait until end of July to find out. <laughs> it's, it's, one of, it's one of those movies that a lot of people talk about. I'm hoping that it's kind of it's so bad it's good kind of movie. Um, but it's pretty notorious because of who it stars. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I went out and I spent, it was a really cheap, secondhand dvd that i bought because i was like i'm not paying full price for this because i don't know if it's any good but yeah i'm 
super excited about growing up millennial and i can't believe that i forgot that but there we go that is sometimes what happens when <laughs> you're going off memory and not off your actual list so i do apologize to growing up millennial for forgetting them because i didn't mean to so what i want to do just quickly and i know that you are obviously a little bit time limited but i thought it would be nice uh, for people to get to know you a little bit better before we get into um x-men dark phoenix so what made you want to get into podcasting originally? So when I was in college, uh, my major was journalism and I was taking a course called like digital storytelling basics. So one of the things I learned was audio storytelling. Um, I really, that was like my first exposure outside of radio where I was like, oh, hey, I can record myself talking on a mic and I mean I could interview people I can tell a story or hey later I could podcast um, so I dabbled with it a little bit in college and then I did a little bit of podcasting for a, a website I used to have back in Austin um, in what was it like 2014 was when we started the website and then it's been a long time so last fall, I, um, I love television, so uh, I decided that I really wanted to get back into podcasting and actually start a podcast and commit to it. So here I am right. with the Bingeables podcast. Yeah, and obviously you cover, um, you cover all sorts on the Bingeables because I remember the first thing I listened uh, from you was your Firefly episodes. Because obviously I am a massive fan of Firefly. Uh, rest in peace, Firefly. You are sorely missed. Um, and just recently, because um, I've not actually watched all of it yet, but I've just started Good Omens. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to be going through your Good Omens podcasts. Uh, but obviously I can't go through them all at the moment because I haven't actually finished watching Good Omens yet. <laughs> but I'm really enjoying it so far. So... Um, so I'm not a complete newbie to uh, the Bingeables, but how how would you describe it to a complete newbie? I would describe the Bingeables podcast as a TV-focused podcast for geeks. We are trying to recommend shows that we feel would appeal to geeks because I think of myself as a geek girl. Mm -hmm. um, Isaac considers himself a geek and we want to because there's just so so many shows out there like it's yeah. it's quite impossible to just watch everything you want to see and we try to like come through what we've seen what we liked uh, what we think we want to recommend to other geeks so we started with disenchantment which was on netflix and then we were um isaac really loved firefly um when it was airing so i gave firefly a shot i really enjoyed it myself mm. so we talked about that and we try to touch on a variety of shows of different genres so fantasy sci-fi animation live action and I guess in a nutshell, it's for people who feel like they're constantly trying to keep up with so many shows that the general public recommends. Yeah. So we want to cater to what we think may interest other geeks. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, I think, with TV nowadays is, you know, you've not just got TV channels, but you've got obviously cable channels. Like, obviously, you guys have got things like HBO. Um, and then we've got, obviously, you know, you've got satellite channels. We've got cable channels. And then you've got all the streaming sites that are now up. And then it's like, because obviously, you've got to pay for all of this for a start. So it soon adds up if you've got to pay for every service. And then you've got all of these shows to watch as well. And I always kind of feel a little bit overwhelmed that, oh, my God, how much time? Like, I need to spend so much time to watch these shows because there is so much out there um, and so much good stuff as well. It's not like back in the day when most TV shows were mostly rubbish because the acting was bad and, <laughs> and the, and the storylines were terrible and the effects were bad it's like everything since kind of the the era of um like netflix and um, prime video and stuff like that i feel like everyone's kind of stepping up their game a little bit on tv um you know with things like game of thrones you're getting massive actors you're getting huge budgets and it's just like i think it's a phenomenal time for tv right now tv seems to be the go-to arena for you know good storytelling good characters, good actors. And yeah, it seems it seems to be booming. Um, and it seems that, you know, Hollywood is really struggling outside of the major franchises um, and stuff, which is a real shame, to be honest. Speaking of obviously your, uh, your episodes of um, the Bingeables podcast, do you have like a favourite TV show that you've discussed? Like what, what would you say would be your favourite um, series that you've podcasted about? So it's hard for me to pick just one favorite episode or topic. Um, although I will say Good Omens was really quite a delight. And I really, really thought Disenchantment was fun. Um, but I will also say, aside from the binge episodes, we had a time period uh, like last month where we were like, let's take a break from binge episodes and just do something more engaging so I came up what I call hashtag question Tuesdays so I just post a question on Twitter and then I wait for people to respond to them and then we record and talk about what other people said mm -hmm. and what we thought of the question right okay obviously getting people involved I I found I found that that's actually been uh, really beneficial for me as well to to ask people questions and to get them involved and get people talking is kind of a really good way to get people kind of then involved in the podcast episodes and hopefully get more people listening maybe hopefully mm -hmm. <laughs> um so yeah I think that it's 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 that kind of feeling of of a person actually you know answering a specific question or giving their opinion and then kind of being a bit sort of involved in the process um because obviously i do something similar um with each episode i do i like to ask for comments and and stuff about what i'm talking about um and sometimes i get loads and sometimes i don't get very many spoiler alert there's not very many for, <laughs> for dark phoenix but no, um, <laughs> uh oh obviously before we go into talking about dark phoenix what would you say is kind of your ultimate dream sort of from what you do on um, the Bingeables podcast? I would like to get over my fear of public speaking 
and get on a panel to talk about whatever TV show I like at a Comic Con. Wow. Oh my god. Well, I, I'm a huge con goer. Yeah, I know, um, I know. I've seen so many photos of you in con- at cons. And I just, I really love listening to people talk about things that they're passionate about. And someday I would like to be one of those people on a, on a little table or stage or whatever and just talk with other people about a show. Um, I guess the best example I can give briefly, I know uh, we're like 15 minutes in already. Um, <laughs> there's a Game of Thrones convention that I really love. It's called Con of Thrones. They're actually pretty young for a con. They're only three years old. And I love listening to people talk about Game of Thrones anytime, all day. <laughs> so I guess hearing some podcasters talk about it, it makes me wonder, oh, well, I guess this is something I want to do someday. My kind of thoughts on that kind of thing is I understand how it feels or how it must feel to, you know, be anxious about sort of public speaking because I I often kind of feel the same. And I guess my my kind of thoughts and it would be I believe that you will achieve that one day because you've got to be behind someone and I I always kind of say it um on this show especially when I've got like guests on and stuff because I fully believe in you've got to support people you've got to help people achieve their dreams and you've got to be there for people and and I know that you will do that one day I know that and I don't mean to say it so that you will feel anxious about it that's not why I'm saying it it's just that I know that you can do that because I I believe that one day you will do it and and when you do I will be looking you know probably not live because you know we don't live anywhere near each other but (laughs) but when but when you do I will be there and I will I will cheer you on I will absolutely cheer you on and I will go go Chinling go (laughs) because you know but that's that's kind of the, the whole kind of podcast support network that's what we're here for and if that's if that's your dream and that's what you want to do I believe that you will do it absolutely 100% thank you I'm I'm like really flushed right <laughs> now thank you I mean it's it's always nice to have the Podern family support you exactly. and you know supporting each other yeah and that's and that's why podcasters are literally the greatest people on the internet <laughs> because because we are um so okay right let's finally talk about x-men dark phoenix the first thing i want to do is i just want to kind of let's go through the characters and the cast because this is obviously a mix of a very well established uh cast and quite a lot well i suppose they are established ish but you know the the new guys that have kind of come in recently in in apocalypse um in x-men dark phoenix we've got james mcavoy as Charles Xavier. We've got Michael Fassbender as Eric Lengsher, aka Magneto. Jennifer Lawrence as Raven, aka Mystique. Nicholas Holt as Hank McCoy, aka Beast. And then uh, the newer guys, we've got Sophie Turner as Jean Grey, aka The Phoenix. Ty Sheridan as Scott Summers, aka Cyclops. Alexandra Ship as Aurora Monroe, aka Storm. Evan Peters as Peter Maximoff, a.k.a. Quicksilver. Cody Smith-McPhee as Kurt Wagner, a.k.a. Nightcrawler. 
And finally, Jessica Chastain as Vuk, who is, I actually found out after because I didn't get it in the movie. The character of Vuk is a member of the Dabari uh, race of aliens, who uh, interestingly were supposed to be Skrulls. Um, and obviously Captain Marvel beat them to the punch because Captain Marvel had the Skrulls instead. So the movie was a directorial debut of Simon Kimberg, who was the writer of X-Men The Last Stand, as well as Days of Future Past and Apocalypse. Dark Phoenix hasn't been out that long. I think it's been out maybe a couple of weeks, sort of at the point of recording. Um, It had a budget of $200 million. And at the point of recording, it had made $204 million worldwide so far. Um, Ooh, those are not good numbers. No, uh, really not. Um, Apparently the worst opening for any X-Men movie ever. The opening was $20 million lower than 2013's The Wolverine. I didn't even know The Wolverine was the previous worst opener because it's a movie that I actually think has a lot of good things going for it, actually. Um, It's just let down by its final third. Obviously, we're going to talk about Dark Phoenix... Uh, in in a bit more detail we're not going to go into kind of a plot point by plot point because obviously as we've mentioned that we don't have a great deal of time today um we're obviously going to talk about the things that we liked and the things that we didn't um but the poor performance um of the movie is is interesting um and i think i think it's something that we're, we're going to obviously mention in detail a bit later but essentially this is a two billion dollar franchise so you would expect that these numbers would be considerably higher. So there's obviously a reason why they're not. Um, but um, but instead of going through the plot points, we'll just go through a quick plot summary uh, for Dark Phoenix. And before I do, obviously, big, big, massive spoiler alert. Obviously, this is a new movie. If you have not seen X-Men Dark Phoenix, I recommend that you watch the movie first because obviously everything's going to be spoiled and although I appreciate the Dark Phoenix saga is a storyline that many people um, who who read the comics are aware of it's been done before in X-Men The Last Stand so people are aware of of this particular storyline however I would still recommend that you watch Dark Phoenix before we talk about all of the particular points of the movie that we like and dislike so again spoiler warning for dark phoenix right plot summary during a life-threatening rescue mission in space jean gray is hit by a cosmic force that transforms her into one of the most powerful mutants of all the phoenix wrestling with this increasingly unstable power as well as her own personal demons jean spirals out of control tearing the x-men family apart and threatening to destroy the very fabric of our planet the culmination of 20 years of X-Men movies as the family of mutants that we've come to know and love must face their most devastating enemy yet, one of their own. Okay. To be honest, I don't even know whether that plot summary made sense, but never mind, we'll carry on. Um, (laughs) So, first of all, Chin Lin, (laughs) um, did you enjoy the movie? Oh, yes, I definitely enjoyed the movie. It was a pretty average movie viewing experience. Mm. I wouldn't call it... Obviously, it's not the best X-Men movie, but it's not the worst. I don't think it was the worst. 
Did you think it was the worst? I didn't think it was the worst, but I guess because I'm comparing it inevitably to The Last Stand, because obviously the source material is similar, it's not exactly the same, but it's it's obviously the, the same kind of Phoenix saga story. Um, and so inevitably I compared it to that. And I, I mean, I still think that the X-Men The Last Stand is worse than this, <laughs> um, because I think at least they tried to go into Jean's inner turmoil in this movie. Yes. Whereas I think The Last Stand obviously focused more on the action. And obviously we're going to talk about issues with with Dark Phoenix and stuff, but I I think they obviously, they they were trying to get, to make it this kind of psychological story about this, this young woman who's really struggling with this immense power and, and she's trying to get help and no one will help her. And, and so she, she's essentially pushed into um, the arms of Jessica Chastain's character, Vuk, who is obviously uh, a bad guy, but she's obviously pretending to care for her. And I just wonder so much. And, and obviously I, I want to talk a little bit about um, Disney's acquisition of Fox because obviously that was all kind of going on around this time. They were having discussions and the the movie was uh, delayed a couple of times. Um, it was reshot. Obviously, the ending was completely changed. And I just wonder if it was too much kind of studio meddling um, to kind of finish the franchise. Whereas if Fox hadn't been bought, then maybe they would have not ended it in such a, a sort of final way um i i see where you're going with that i guess that's kind of my feeling too the movie itself felt a little dragged on Mm. like there wasn't a lot of big there weren't a lot of epic things that happened in the movie itself but the franchise as a whole i felt like the studio just wanted to be done with it. Yeah. Just like, let's let's just put this out there and be done with it. And then the merger happened, or acquisition, sorry. Um, and now I'm like, was this movie even worth it? Like, yeah. Because we're going to, where are we going to see next? Mm. Yeah, it feels like all of the fans wanted this franchise to go out on a bang, you know, and to be epic you know to for it to essentially be the x-men's version of endgame to have that kind of epic conclusion to this sort of 20-year saga pretty much yes um and it just it it didn't even come close (laughs) it just i think i described it after i'd seen it the phrase i used was half-baked it felt like there was something there that there was a an idea and that if it had just been talked about more and giving a given a little bit more action and given a little bit more humor perhaps and I know that's a difficult balance when you're talking about a, a character like Jean Grey and what she's going through you don't want another character cracking jokes in the background but if Marvel Studios can do it with something like Endgame where you can still keep the humor but also have everything that's going on in Endgame as well it could have been done um, it could have retained that 
the the humor that the the franchise is known for um and but yeah it it felt like it felt like a an idea that could have been great but in the end it just kind of felt like it just felt like a bit sloppy in the middle and it's really disappointing (laughs) It's, it's because you as a fan you you go through these movies and there is everything even the worst movies there's always something to love or you know a particular scene or a character or something and I kind of feel like for example um talking about the previous movie Apocalypse there are still some great characters that are introduced in that movie even though they're not utilized to their um to how I feel they should have been for example Psylocke I was happy to see Psylocke um she was my favorite exactly and I I still feel a little bit of grief that they didn't do more with her in that movie but but still even though I think Apocalypse is a is a quite a bad movie I I liked Psylocke I liked the introduction of Storm in that movie I think that the actress Alexandra Ship I think she's a really good Storm but she's not given a great deal to do so and I think that's maybe the problem with the franchise now is you've got so many characters and it's just so stuffed and it's like no one's really given a chance to shine let's talk about the good things about Dark Phoenix because there are some I don't know about you but I I always feel like with these newer movies that James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender can always be relied on to be really good and I think generally together they're they're kind of the linchpins I kind of feel of of the newer franchise even though I I felt that their inclusion in in this movie a I don't think it was particularly necessary apart from the flashback scenes perhaps with young Jean um and Charles um but Magneto especially felt very kind of tacked on um with the scenes in Genosha um and I I felt a little bit like I'm I'm not really sure about his character like where what is he doing like where is he in his life like he seems to be okay uh, yeah it was all it all just felt a little bit like oh we need to have Magneto in these scenes so let's bring him in and yeah how did how did you feel about James McAvoy and um Michael Fassbender so when we first saw them come on in the X-Men movies uh there was this thing on the internet where people loved McAvoy and Fassbender so much they uh they shipped them as a uh, McFassy I've never heard of that before wait really yeah maybe maybe it was just the U.S. Uh, fans who were saying that but um I love me some McFassy they have great chemistry they really do um and I, I I've never complained about acting in the X-Men movies so it's definitely a good point for me in in Dark Phoenix, the acting of everyone, including McAvoy and Fassbender. Mm-hmm. In terms of whether I felt Fassbender's addition in the movie felt forced, I I don't I don't think it was forced because I feel like it was necessary to see him and Charles together. I mean Eric and Charles together again. Because if this is going to be the last movie in the franchise, we should definitely have some scenes with them together, 
and work together through this problem you know what you've just said there actually makes complete sense (laughs) that it is fundamentally a story about eric and charles so um yeah i i completely agree with you on that point and um obviously i i said what i said and (laughs) and i take it back um because yeah i guess i guess you're right it has always been about them um and about their relationship and and even in the um the first sets set of movies which is obviously the future set of movies even though the timelines are different now but okay um with like patrick stewart and um ian mckellen there was that chemistry between um the two actors and the characters was always really phenomenal i always thought and and i always remember thinking you're never going to get actors like patrick stewart and and ian mckellen again and then they cast McAvoy and Fassbender and I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> like they are so good together. I had no idea people shipped them, but clearly it's a match made in heaven because oh, yeah. I mean, they're two good looking guys and they work well together. And yeah, I am down for McFassie, definitely. Um, I guess it kind of made sense perhaps that Jean would go to someone for help um sort of after feeling that she's excluded from sort of the x-men um oh oh sorry i just thought of something what she had to go to eric because logan wasn't in the movie yes i feel like naturally she would go her character would go to logan yes yeah logan understands her the most right aside from scott yeah yeah, but since since Hugh Jackman is done being Wolverine, we had to we had to substitute Logan and um, Magneto felt like the most natural backup, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and I think that I think this is the first X Men movie that doesn't feature Hugh Jackman at all. I think I think Logan was his high point. Like I'm, I am, I was very happy with Logan, oh, even though it was yeah. hella impressed, uh, depressing. I mean, impressive and depressing. It's a phenomenal movie, absolutely phenomenal, and I'm still so sad because I, I was really championing it for a Best Picture Oscar that year, and I really, really wanted it to be recognised. Um, and I was so sad <laughs> that it wasn't because it's, it's not just a superhero movie it's it's just a beautiful character driven movie it's it's almost like a bit of a western i guess um as well and it's oh it's so perfect in every way i absolutely love logan completely and that is hugh jackman's swan song and it's it's perfection it's absolute perfection i think even if hugh jackman wanted to come back as wolverine i because obviously we've mentioned that this this franchise is essentially a, a love song between um, Eric and Charles. And I, I kind of feel like, is there a place for Wolverine in this movie? Probably not. Um, anyway, he... I mean, I think, I think Wolverine would have been the one making those side jokes. Like yeah, you mentioned probably. earlier about yeah. how we, we didn't have... Oh, we we barely had any humor in Dark Phoenix, and I think part of that part of that is because well Logan wasn't in here, and Logan had some great one-liners over the over 
the course of this whole franchise. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, Hugh Jackman, we miss you. <laughs> oh, greatly. <laughs> yeah, he's really he is really the 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 backbone of of the franchise and and I know the early movies relied on the character of Wolverine probably a little too much, but I'm not complaining because we got some excellent Hugh Jackman and he's He's personified the role now, you know, whoever steps into those shoes, because they will inevitably recast, whoever steps into those shoes has got some massive shoes to fill, you know, and good luck to whoever that person is, because, well, all I'll say is if it's not Laura from Logan, then good luck to them, because it should be Laura. Laura should be the next Wolverine, and... um yeah, that's that's all I'm going to say on the matter. <laughs> um, we're talking about good points about Dark Phoenix. The the younger members of the cast, I think, do a really good job, um, especially Sophie Turner. She's got the weight of this whole movie on her shoulders. Um, and I think she does really, really outstanding work, actually. Um, what did you think about her? <laughs> well, anyone who follows me on social media knows that I can we can I cuss here? Uh, if you do, I'll bleep it. <laughs> okay, okay, I won't cuss. <laughs> okay, everybody who follows me on in, on uh, social media knows that I freaking love Sophie Turner. That woman is my gal. She's I through mean, Game of Thrones, yeah. through Dark Phoenix, anything with Sophie Turner, I am going to watch. I mean, we have to kind of say, I mean, she is phenomenal in Game of Thrones. Like, mm -hmm. Queen Sansa forever, as far as I'm concerned. Like, she queen is... Queen of the North! She, she's like, literally Queen of Westeros, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, I think, you know, as, as the seasons progressed, I mean, obviously she started out, she was very young when she started in Game of Thrones, and she grew into this role, and... She just played a phenomenal character who knew how to play the game. And I'm just like, you know, she's she was so young. And I'm like, wow, she is so phenomenal. Because she didn't get much to do in Apocalypse, really. So, oh, no, she was definitely a side character yeah. in Apocalypse. And to kind of make her essentially front and centre, that is a lot to put on a young actress's shoulders, you know, especially when the franchise is as big as this um mm -hmm. and i really hope that she walks away from this essentially with her head held high because i think she she did great work in this movie and you know the fact that this movie hasn't done well is nothing absolutely nothing to do with her like she is great i think that she she puts across the emotion and just the pressure that she's feeling you know the character of jean gray and the isolation that she's feeling because she she has all this power and she doesn't know what to do and she that just the the torment that's kind of going on in her in her, her own mind and the fact that this thing is essentially controlling her um i think that i think she's great in this movie and i think that she she essentially kind of leads this this young cast um terrifically and I, she will always be, going forward, a good point about Dark Phoenix. Like, I don't think anyone can say that she was awful in this movie because she wasn't. She's, she's, she's fantastic. Like, considering her age and, yeah, I'm, I was blown away by her. I thought she was incredible. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
Um, and I think she did she did such a great job um I guess seeing the scenes where she's really struggling mm-hmm. and I guess I don't know how to describe it if you've seen the movie you know what I'm talking about yeah it really shows through yeah it's like a, it's it's like the inner turmoil isn't it and mm-hmm. I guess I kind of it feels a little bit like you know when you've got like I don't know, maybe like the, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on another and, and you're trying to figure out which is the the right one to listen to and because and obviously she's got this this cosmic force within her. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, the whole kind of, well... And we'll, we'll obviously come to... Um, there's a specific meta- metaphor that's used for Jean, for, for Charles to explain to Jean about this gift, uh, her, her um, telepathic powers about how it's a gift and stuff like that. But I kind of feel like she she had power before and that power is, is just like grown exponentially. And how how do you even start to comprehend what you do and and how you deal with that? And I think she I think she brought that across pretty perfectly, um, in all honesty. Um obviously still on good points about Dark Phoenix. <laughs> Now, I wanted to mention the train sequence because, interestingly, this was a late addition to the movie. This was actually one of the reshoots uh, because the finale previously uh, was in space um, and then they changed it. They wanted to ground um, the movie and so they, they basically put it back on Earth, essentially, uh, with the, uh, the sequence in the train, which I thought was actually really good. I thought the effects were good. I thought it was good that each of the characters got a little chance to show off their powers and what they can do, um, that they could work together as a team. And yeah, I, I, that was probably, for me, action-wise, the, the highlight of the movie because the movie didn't really have a great deal of action sequences and it, it mainly relied on Sophie Turner and that, that inner turmoil that we've spoken about and, and her experience. But I really enjoyed that train sequence. Um, I thought it was really good fun and I'm actually really glad because the trailer um, it kind of insinuated that the issues with the train were because of Jean that Jean was doing something and controlling the situation and essentially being the bad guy in that situation and we actually find out in the movie that that is completely not the case um, that essentially they are trying to protect Jean um, but then when she actually does wake up. Um, she actually is trying to protect her friends, which I really liked. I, I thought that was a really good sequence. Um, what did you think of that sequence in particular? I loved it too. It it was very X-Men-esque. Mm. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's a terrible uh, adjective to use because, duh, we're talking about X-Men. Um, <laughs> but it, it was the thing we needed to kick this movie into high gear Mm -hmm. but obviously by the time we get by the time we got the train sequence it was already towards the end so yeah it was very short-lived but it was it was what we needed i felt earlier in the movie yeah definitely definitely something that because like i say when when you've got the whole point of the x-men is that we we want to know about all the characters and what they're doing but we also want to see them work as a team and up until that point, I know, I know that we had the rescue in space and, and stuff like that, um, which 
yeah, I guess they were kind of working as a team at that point, but it, it wasn't, it felt like the train sequence was was fully kind of, this is this is what we come to an X-Men movie for. It's, it's the action, it's the effects, it's, it's the it's 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 all of the characters working together and um yeah i i completely agree, agree with you it's it's a shame we didn't get it a bit earlier because like you say it's towards the end um you at that point you're kind of feeling a little bit like well is is this x men movie actually going to show us any x men like doing anything x meny <laughs> um but yeah and and like I think the other good point that I, I had on my list was the the effects, and I think that the I think the effects were good. I love the effect of the uh, the cracks in Jean's face with the the phoenix. Oh yeah, and then her eyes get orange yeah. when those powers are coming through. Oh, that was excellent, and I really liked how they showed that in like the official movie posters mm. before the before the movie came out. Yeah, and I think that yeah. the yeah the look of the movie. I mean, obviously. It's it's a big budget movie, so you expect it to look good. Um, and I think that overall, I think the the effects budget was was well spent. Um, mm-hmm. The only kind of issue that I had, and I know it's it's there is a reason for it, but obviously, in Days of Future Past and Apocalypse, well, in Days of Future Past, we were um, introduced to uh, Quicksilver. And uh, we had that wonderful scene in Day to Future Past um, set to Time in a Bottle, which is basically kind of where he's he's obviously everything's in slow motion and he's because he's really fast. And then we had a similar scene in Apocalypse because that's kind of been synonymous with that character. You have the humour from him and you have this particular scene where he uses his powers to do something amazing. And like I say, you have it in Days of Future Past, you have it again in Apocalypse. And then they go to do it in this movie with him facing off against Jean. And you think, oh, my God, they're going to do it. They're going to do a Quicksilver scene. And you, it can't, because you know what to expect, it kind of ramps up the tension a little bit. You, you, you feel, like, excited. Oh, what, what song are they going to use? You know, what is he going to do? Because he always does something really funny. And, and then you kind of get this point where he's kind of jumping in between kind of debris to get to Jean and you're like oh my god this is going to be amazing and then Jean just smacks him down and I I get the point that they're trying to make they're basically saying well you know Jean is so powerful that she can see him coming she knows what he's going to do she can just react and just smack him down but I was like oh man (laughs) like could we not just have something from Quicksilver just some little bit of joy can't we give him five minutes of him doing his thing because we all loved it in the previous two films (laughs) exactly and i'm like please like i said i understand why they're they're trying to get a point across the point that she is so powerful and from her character point of view i kind of liked it but similarly i was like i just want to see a quick see a scene with quicksilver like just doing something ridiculous and I kind of felt like his character because he's basically been the comic relief. Um, and I know, and we're going to talk about, um, I want to talk about timescales um, a little bit later because essentially this is another 10 year gap. So we're expecting that this character has aged 10 years. And obviously people do mature in 10 years. But still, I mean, 
you can't set something up in two movies and then have the third movie and not pay it off just a little, you know? Uh, and I was a bit disappointed with that. But overall, I thought the effects were were really good. Um, and to be honest, considering that Disney was in the process of discussions um, for essentially purchasing Fox um, at this point, the fact the movie is coherent enough that it actually does make sense, I consider that a bit of a miracle um, because there's been so many situations where, you know, movie studios have been taken over and movies have had to be scrapped. There was talk that this was going to be scrapped at one point because they weren't sure what to do with it. They scrapped Gambit. Yeah. I was so sad about it because I love Channing Tatum. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I'm sad about it because I want to see a Gambit movie. And I must admit, when Channing Tatum was announced that he was going to do it, my first reaction was, Channing Tatum, though? And <laughs> because I couldn't picture him as Gambit, and I really struggled with that. And then I started seeing some fan art of, of him as Gambit, and I was like, oh, that actually looks quite good. And, <laughs> and then um, I think... To be honest, I think it was while I was watching Magic Mike, I just thought to myself, maybe this guy could be like a really fun and interesting and sexy. Because we know he can do sexy. But it was the, yep. the humour and I just, can he get the humour through? And I was like, I, I think that he can. And obviously now we're never going to see that gambit. Um, and I don't know if we're ever going to see any version of gambit, which is sad, but... You never know. We might see Gambit in future. Um, I am not holding my breath <laughs> with Disney in charge because mm. I have a, I have mixed feelings about Disney. As do we all, Chin Lin. <laughs> I, you make me so happy, but then you piss me off with the things that you do. Yeah, yeah. But I won't. I won't get into it. We're talking dark. Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously. The, the future of the X-Men franchise is something that we can sort of briefly touch on a little bit later. Um, but I want to talk about probably my favourite part of the movie. I want to talk about the scene with young Jean and Charles when Charles is talking to her about her gift. Um, and he uses a specific metaphor about a pen. And he... I'm paraphrasing because I don't know the exact quote um, and I, I'm i not intelligent enough to go and uh, find it beforehand. So I'm just paraphrasing here. But it was something along the lines of um, you, you can either use a pen to write or you can use a pen to stab someone. <laughs> um, but it's your choice because at the end of the day that the, the pen that you've been given is is the gift and it's up to you whether you use that for good or for evil. Um, and I really liked that metaphor. I thought it was a really easy, simple, uh, but yet really effective way of explaining mutation and mm -hmm. about how it's, it's ultimately that person's choice, how they use that mutation. Um, yeah, I, I also enjoyed that scene. And I guess that's, that's the theme of the movie overall, I feel. Like, we 
we all have choices and things are going to happen to us and it's a matter of how we deal with the situation Mm. yeah um because obviously that's kind of the whole point is that gene is so torn uh, Mm -hmm. but fundamentally it comes down to that discussion that she had with charles about the pen um and and she obviously makes a choice at the end to to do the right thing and and that and we all we always kind of knew that that was going to be her choice because you know she's a member of the x-men you know she is there to do good um but i thought that particular metaphor i thought was was really well done and i thought that james mcavoy just kind of killed it a little bit in that scene i thought he was absolutely wonderful because he always is and I also thought the child actress who played Jean, I thought was quite good as well. Um, it's always quite difficult, I think, with child actors. Sometimes you get good ones, but it's rare you get a really good child actor. But I thought the child actor who played Jean was was okay. Like, I wouldn't say she was like Stranger Things child actor amazing, because mm-hmm. I don't think any other child actors in the world are as good as those kids. But... Um, but no, I thought I thought she was good and I thought she handled that particular scene really, really well. Do you have anything that you wanted to kind of add like a, about things that you really enjoyed about Dark Phoenix? I loved the score. Um, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to film scores. So I really, I didn't realize it was Hans Zimmer who was scoring until the credits came. Mm. Um, I love Hans Zimmer. Um, John Williams, yeah. uh, they're both legends. Um, there's this French uh, composer who's really good, and he's done a lot of uh, Hollywood films, uh, Alexandre Desplat. Oh, yes, um, yes. Yeah, so, like, I, I love movie scores, um, and I, I really enjoyed this one. So I was like, oh, hey, Zon- Hans Zimmer mm. uh, did this score. Yeah. Nice. It is, it is a beautiful score. It's, it's really lovely. And I know that a lot of, I think generally a lot of criticism has come in in the past for like the, the X-Men movies, the scores, um, and that people don't think that they're memorable. Um, but I would always pick up um, an X-Men movie score pretty much straight away. But then I guess I have watched quite a lot of these movies a lot. I mean, it's difficult when you're talking about scores because... There are some scores, like you, you mentioned earlier, John Williams. Um, some He's done probably some of the most famous scores in modern cinematic history. Um, and obviously, the last episode, I was talking to Sade about Pirates of the Caribbean, which obviously, again, has just a so completely memorable score. As soon as you hear it, you know it's Pirates of the Caribbean. I really love the score for Dark Phoenix, but I don't think it's going to kind of go down in history as one of those kind of really memorable scores. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but it is, it's that's such a beautiful piece of music. So, yeah, I, to be honest, I didn't know it was Hans Zimmer either until you mentioned it just now, because obviously I didn't even think to check. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's done some fantastic scores. So uh, my favourite film whose uh, score he did, composed, was um, The Dark Knight. Yes. That mm. that one, to me, is the most memorable. Yeah. Yeah, because, oh, it's, it's so, like... It feels... Intense. Yeah, that's the word I was thinking of. Like, I was going to say moody, but it's... 
I suppose it is a little bit, but it's it is like intense and it really kind of draws you in to the movie. And yeah, I mean, I, d- I didn't even think to, to to mention that, but yeah, it is a wonderful score, definitely, definitely a good point about Dark Phoenix. And then I had one more good point that I wanted to add. Sure. Um, and you you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, I really liked that the the film focused on the emotions and the the intimacy of Jean Grey mm-hmm. because, like you said, we're she's dealing with this inner turmoil, and it's more psychological as a whole versus adventurous. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, you can kind of play it to both sides. Like to me, I think it was a good point because it makes the f- it makes the film stand out a little bit more than your average superhero film. Mm-hmm. But because we don't have as much action, it's one reason why it was a flop. Yeah, it's it's definitely not the X Men movie that people are used to seeing. Um, exactly, and. Um, and yeah, I think because obviously we've we've both spoken about how wonderful Sophie Turner is, um, mm-hmm. and she she is the focus of of all of what you've just said. So all of pretty much all of the emotion and and the the intimacy um, is all it's all kind of focused on her, and and everyone around her is a bit of a byproduct of of that. Um, and it is a psychological; it's more of a psychological drama, really. Um, with this kind of superhero, the superhero bits are just kind of add-ons um, because it is more of a character piece about Jean. But then I think the movie struggles quite a lot because obviously the, the story is about Jean, but then you have all of these actors who are essentially billed above Sophie Turner. And in the grand scheme of Hollywood, obviously you need to keep those actors happy um, and involved in the story as well so if the movie wasn't an x-men movie and i know this doesn't make sense because it is an x-men movie but if it wasn't an x-men movie if it was just a sort of standalone feature about this kind of young mutant who is really struggling with all of these emotions and the, the power and everything then perhaps it would have worked i guess i'm trying to say perhaps it would have worked as a standalone piece rather than an ensemble part of this whole franchise, perhaps? Yes. Um, and I want to bring up Logan again as a good example of this mm. because they did a really good job with that one. Yeah. Logan wasn't your typical X-Men movie, but, you know, he he had his own story. He had his own issues to deal with. He had his own adventure. And we do see Charles. We do see the people who are after them. Mm-hmm. So it's got some aspects of an X-Men movie that you would expect, but we're solely focused on just Logan. Yeah. So I think Logan did a really good job of doing that, and we just don't see that here with um, Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Um, But I think you make a really good point about Logan, though, is that it's not canonically... It it is part of the franchise, obviously, but it's it's essentially a spin-off. So perhaps in that kind of similar vein if they had taken this story and you know done it as a spin-off and without having to include a lot of the other kind of 
storylines that that were going on at the same time with obviously other mutants and stuff like that um i mean logan i think is a bit of an anomaly in this franchise in that it's it's a great superhero movie but it's also a great all-around movie as well as as well as a great character piece and i know we've we've kind of touched on logan previously but i completely agree with you that if logan did it then why couldn't dark phoenix do it um but it couldn't do it (laughs) And, and it's like yeah i'm still i'm still not entirely sure the hows and the whys and and stuff um but it's not a terrible movie basically what we're saying is it has good points it's not terrible um I would implore anyone, if if anyone's listening to this point and they haven't seen the movie, I'd still question, well, why did you not listen to the spoiler warning? Um, but it's not a terrible movie. It's not, it's not all bad. There are some excellent things in this movie that just aren't given chance to be excellent. Um, and it it's a it's a bit of a shame, really. Um, like like we mentioned that the the franchise is essentially kind of fizzling out when it should be going out in style. It's disappointing, but it's not completely terrible. <laughs> it's basically what we're saying. <laughs> I feel like we're not doing a very good job of saying good things about Dark Phoenix, but um, but yeah, that essentially there are good things. Um, but inevitably, there are some not brilliant things um that i think we do need to talk about so the previous movie was x-men apocalypse so basically the general storyline of apocalypse was you essentially had a a very powerful mutant who was akin to a god um, because he was so powerful and so old and he obviously because all bad guys want to take over the world etc etc and at the end, the X-Men managed to defeat him. Yay, all is good. Whoop, whoop. Um, and then this movie is set 10 years after that. Um, and I kind of, my initial question, I guess, was why wasn't this in any way a sequel to Apocalypse? Because I kind of felt like maybe it would have worked better if it was, if you had some sort of continuation of something to do with the previous movie. Um maybe that might have helped a little bit sort of of ground dark phoenix um into the franchise a little bit more apocalypse was not a good movie um but it did have good points like we've like i previously mentioned um i'm sad that some of the characters we met in apocalypse didn't come back um in this movie but some of them did obviously we've got storm uh, which is great um and storm i think she doesn't do much in dark phoenix but she still gets a chance to shine which is wonderful because storm's a great character and um again it's just one of those things when you're working with an ensemble cast inevitably people only get little opportunities to shine it's not really an issue i guess it's more of a question um because i i honestly don't know why they've tried why they've decided to go down this kind of 10 year gap each time because it really doesn't make sense at all. (laughs) I have a question for your question. Okay. (laughs) Um, So Apocalypse came out in 2016, Mm -hmm. and then Logan came out in 2017, and then we had Deadpool 2 in 2018. Yeah. So was, was Dark Phoenix not 
it didn't come out sooner because of production issues and they had to remake some of it yeah i think it was originally scheduled to come out last year um, yeah i'm not sure of the exact date but i know it's been put back twice because i know it was put back to february of this year and then it was put back again to june of this year but originally mm-hmm. it was supposed to be out last summer i believe oh wow a whole year then pretty much a whole year um yeah and i think that's kind of a a multitude of different things i think it's obviously to do with the the, the acquisition talks it's to mm-hmm. do with the fact that I, clearly they weren't happy with the with what they'd originally done and they did um several reshoots um and it could possibly be as well um if you if you're a studio um you don't want to release certain movies at the same time and obviously when the first deadpool came out they didn't expect that to be as big and inevitably deadpool 2 was bigger um so you're not going to want to release similar movies based around sort of the same franchise at at the same time so that could have something to do with it as well um i'm not entirely sure but um but yeah so i mean we've obviously had a three year gap yeah pretty much well i suppose it's more two years if they were planning to release it when they were originally it would have been a two-year gap have i have i answered your question i think i have haven't i Yes, you did. Okay. My question was a question to your okay. question, which, well, because I, I really don't know why this no. couldn't have just been a sequel to Apocalypse, but it's it's obviously yeah. a decision. I mean, it's already done. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's obviously a decision they made. They wanted to go down the Dark Phoenix route because obviously it worked so well for them last time. And the thing is, I say that, you know, jokingly, but it really did because The Last Stand made a a lot of money it's like the third highest grossing x-men movie of all time it's massively it was so successful um and they obviously wanted to do that again and they wanted to ideally make that you know make a lot of money um and it it kind of faltered um quite spectacularly we talked a little bit about the younger members of the cast who generally i mean sophie turner excellent pretty much all of the younger cast members that we've been introduced to thus far i think they do they do really good stuff with what they're given but it's not much let's talk about jennifer lawrence for a little bit because jennifer lawrence firstly clearly did not want to be in this movie i i felt like i felt like she didn't even want to be in apocalypse um i read somewhere that she basically did not want to come back for this movie and they essentially persuaded her to come back and she was like well i want to get killed off so <laughs> so yeah they kill her off very very early on um and i mean how did you feel about mystique's death did that affect you in any way i didn't like that they used her i didn't like that they used her death as a catalyst to bring hank and eric together hmm. Um, but I had no idea Jennifer Lawrence was not wanting to come back. No, she really didn't. Although the franchise has been dragged out for a while, so I can, I can see how 
It'd just be another checkbox to her. Yeah, I think she obviously saw it as essentially a, a guaranteed paycheck, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of the day, she's got bills to pay. Um, and I absolutely adore her as an actress, just generally. I think she's wonderful. But I think she signed on to the X-Men movies at a point in her life when she was obviously quite up and coming. You know, when you've done a job for a little while, you get a little bit bored of it. And I think that's only natural. But I wasn't particularly thrilled by her performance in this. And I think that when you've got a younger roster of cast members who are really trying very, very hard to be the best that they can be, I feel a little bit like the older cast members need to sort of set a good example in a way and be professional. And I'm not suggesting that Jennifer Lawrence isn't a professional because we all know that she is. But I I feel like on screen it's quite clear that she doesn't want to be there. And I think that takes takes it away a little bit from those cast members that are really trying very hard. That was just a bit of a disappointment. I knew about the character's death because it was basically given away in one of the early trailers. They they had like a funeral scene and they had this scene beforehand with Jean doing something to Mystique and it's like, oh, so they kill her off then. And it was basically the worst kept secret on the internet for some time. Um, oh my God, now I feel... <laughs> did... I, I did not even remember that really? in the trailer. <laughs> oh, wow, maybe well, we saw different the trailer trailers. come out? Pardon? When did the trailer come out? Uh, I'm trying to remember because I know there were several trailers. Maybe we saw different ones because obviously they do different, they do multiple trailers. Um, But I went to see the movie with my sister and my sister's a big X-Men fan as well. And she was completely shocked. We walked out the cinema and she said, she was like, I had no idea Mystique was going to die. Did you know Mystique was going to die? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, you didn't know? And she was like, I had no idea. I was so surprised. I was like, no, Mystique. And she was really upset about Mystique dying. And I was just like, whatever. (laughs) Because I just felt like Jennifer Lawrence didn't want to be there. So I just felt a little bit meh about the character. And yeah. So from what I think of Jennifer Lawrence's performance... Now that you put it out there, it does seem like she was phoning it in. I just figured that was because she knew she just wasn't going to be in it for that long. Because there's so many characters, you can't give everyone the time that they deserve. I think I know what you're trying to say. And If you've got a large ensemble, if you're acting in an ensemble, you know you're not going to get the big monologues and, and, and all of that. But I think with her specifically, she, they persuaded her to come back and she was like, well, I will, but you need to kill me off early on. So, so that's what they did. And they wanted to do it, I think, as a, a massive kind of emotional punch that, oh my God, this is how powerful Jean is. Like she can kill someone like Mystique. Um, But I just didn't feel that emotional punch. I was just like, eh. <laughs> I know that sounds terrible. But because I knew that Jennifer Lawrence didn't want to be there, so I just didn't feel like that connection, I guess. Oh, no, I get it. Yeah, I yeah. get it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about you, but 
did you feel like the outfits that they wore just looked really cheap and awful? I mean, honestly, I feel like the costumes just get worse every time. <laughs> they do. It just felt like it, it looked like really cheap polyester, like from the 70s, which, I mean, technically they are in the 90s, but still, with their yellow X. And I, and I get that they've done it to be, because essentially that's kind of the um, outfit that they wear in the, in the comic books is with the, the yellow X, but it just didn't look great on screen it just looked really cheap um uh that's uh, maybe that's the maybe the reason why the costumes were cheap looking is m maybe because they spent a lot of budget on doing the special effects it, so yeah. they had to they had to cut it somewhere yeah and i mean i i don't have a, the biggest opinion about the x-men costumes from recent movies just because i feel like eh, they mostly all look the same it's mostly black a little bit of yellow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or silver <laughs> kind of a little metallic uh gleam to it but otherwise it's nothing that makes it stand out mm. uh my favorite costume from recent movies was Psylocke's from apocalypse oh, she looks so amazing in that costume with the it was like a midnight metallic blue wasn't it and Mm -hmm. With like a red, like belt sash, kind of. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! I mean, she looked so gorgeous. Just, yeah, because uh, that was Olivia Munn, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, she's gorgeous anyway. But in that costume, I was like, wow. I'm. I just. I miss her so much. I. I. I wish they'd done so much more with Psylocke because, I think that she. She could have been like. A really great character if they'd only given her a bit more to do but yeah she was gorgeous in that movie can we talk a little bit about jessica chastain oh my god yes girl <laughs> because she's an incredible actress just generally like jessica chastain we know she's phenomenal she obviously got the call to do this movie and she was like yep sign me up i want to be in an x-men movie and so you think okay you've got we know that mcavoy and fassbender are great we know that Jennifer Lawrence can be great because, you know, she's won an Oscar, so we know she can act. Um, and then Jessica Chastain comes along and you're like, she's going to be phenomenal. And then you go into the movie and I walk out of the movie and I'm just like, what? What was she doing? <laughs> like, what? What was her role? Like, what? what <laughs> i think <laughs> no i feel you exactly i think the reason why jessica chastain why her character just comes off very flat is because we just don't know that much about the enemies in general yeah like we have very underwhelming villains uh, we had this with apocalypse and um the the film just gives us the bare bones about Jessica Chastain's character and the um the Debari was yeah. it yeah so there's just not a lot for her to work with so she's doing the best with what she's got in the script mm. yeah and it's it's really unfortunate because when you've got an actress of her caliber you really want her to do something to get you know to get her chops into it you know and to really be a spectacular villain and 
I really like that you called back to Apocalypse because obviously that was Oscar Isaac, who, again, a phenomenal actor, really great. We know that he could really give you a fantastic performance. And yet you stick him under a ton of Apocalypse makeup and he just falls flat. And I feel very much, I completely agree with you, Jessica Chastain, like they obviously had this vision of this antagonist and and I don't know whether it's been lost over maybe some cuts or reshoots or or what, but I just, yeah, it was like, well, why, what is their purpose? Like, why, obviously we know they want the Phoenix, but why? Like, yeah, it was just honestly so confusing. And I'm like, why, why get someone as amazing as Jessica Chastain just to kind of stand and glare at people (laughs) because that's essentially all she does they go into that hotel room and she shows her like the essentially like a map of the stars kind of thing um and I'm like well but did you have to go into the hotel room to show her that like could you not have shown her that anywhere but okay and it just felt very very confusing and yeah I think I did read that they wanted the scrolls um And it's obviously to do with um, the rights and who has rights to what. Um, And I don't know whether Marvel Studios just basically said, oh, no, we want to use the scrolls. You can't use them or and they or they made a deal on it or whatever. But essentially, these are also shapeshifting aliens like the scrolls. Maybe they didn't want to use the scrolls because they didn't want to confuse people because the scrolls spoiler for Captain Marvel, are the the good guys in Captain Marvel. So maybe they didn't want to confuse people. But yeah, it was was a really confusing role. Um, And essentially what you want from your baddie in X-Men is is you want them to essentially have a purpose. And I always feel that historically Magneto has always kind of had shades of grey. He's always wanted to do what's best for mutants whether that makes him good or bad is irrelevant to him. And so I've always felt that as a bad guy, in inverted commas, Magneto has always been very fascinating. He could sway either way, depending on whether it's good for him and good for mutant kind. Um, But yeah, Vuk, I'm like... Yeah. I was... was (laughs) Do you know what? I was just going to... The way I would sum it up is I would say like, what the Vuk? (laughs) Because that's how it feels. I'm like, what? Um, you should get that trending. Do you think? Yeah. What, what the fuck? What the fuck was that? <laughs> um, like you say, it's it's just disappointing. There's obviously script issues anyway because no one's really given anything to do. When they do do something, it's not like there are really any memorable lines or quotes or anything apart from obviously the aforementioned pen metaphor, which is excellent. The script just felt, it felt very jarring. It, it felt like, like we've mentioned earlier, there was not really any humour or, or, or anything. Um, and there's a particularly terrible line um, that coincidentally, Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique says, they've obviously wanted to use the line for a specific reason, but it just feels like it's pandering to the audience. And I didn't feel like, personally, that it was of benefit to me at all. Because she mentions about that the women are saving the men. And that you should rename the team 
ex-women. They wanted to say it for a reason, but it just felt like it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like it didn't feel like it spoke to me as a woman. Um, I mean, I don't know if you felt differently or whether you felt the same about that or. I felt nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just such a throwaway line and and it feels like they wanted it to be mystique you know standing up for womankind like sisters are doing it for themselves over here charles like you should rename it ex women and then it's like it feels like there should be a tumbleweed like rolling across the screen because it's there's like nothing there's nothing there well and plus she's she's really pissed at charles in the scene so it doesn't have the impact that we would want it to have yeah She's not making a speech about the women on the X-Men team. She's just kind of retorting at Charles. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like there's nothing behind it. Just like, like you say, she's just angry. Like, she doesn't have Mm -hmm. a point to make. For example, and I know this is another scene that, that people have said is pandering to women, but the scene at the end of Endgame with the women i loved it i was like oh my god this is awesome this is what i want to see and i really i was really in the moment and i think that they wanted it to be the equivalent of that and for all of the women to just stand up and go you go mystique i'm with you whereas it's like nothing (laughs) there's nothing there i feel nothing (laughs) but i feel like i should have felt something and i didn't and i mean she was phoning it in yeah like part of it was her performance aside from the lines that she was saying i don't know no um yeah i think um jennifer lawrence is she's a bit of an issue in this movie in general um like you say she she is phoning it in it doesn't feel to me like she wants to be there um so in a way i guess it's kind of good that she dies so early on um i'm trying to remember exactly when it must be about 30 or 40 minutes into the movie she dies so it's quite early um yeah which i guess is a bit of a blessing really for the movie in that respect um (laughs) because well i guess she doesn't have much to do anyways even if she did stay alive that's true because let's be honest no one's got anything to do in this movie apart from sophie turner and as we've already mentioned, she does stellar work. So, um, yeah, all of the rest of the members of the cast just turned up, did a bit and got paid and left. So good for them, though, because it's, it seems like really easy money. Um, but um, but yeah, obviously, the film has suffered. I want to, if it's OK with you, talk a little bit about the, these these four movies. So obviously, we've got X-Men First Class, which was set in the 60s days of future past was set in the 70s apocalypse was set in the 80s and this is set in the 90s so essentially we've got the best part of 40 years worth of x-men stories here with the same cast each time no one appears to be aging like a day which is amazing like obviously the mutant gene is doing something wonders for their skin um (laughs) and when we're talking about a series of movies that take place over this length of time as we're going through the franchise the movies kind of started high with first class and continued high with days of future past 
And then we kind of took a massive step down with Apocalypse and again with Dark Phoenix. Do you think that maybe the the 10 year gaps in between could be part of the problem? Like, could it be that it doesn't feel realistic that these characters are actually aging 10 years each time we see them, maybe? Yes. Yes to what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not realistic because all the newer cast are younger actors and why would you want to put aging makeup on them? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um and then Apocalypse was set in the 80s. Yeah. Dark Phoenix in the 90s. I mean, Days of Future Past was personally my favorite of the newer films. Yeah. So I feel like it could have just ended there. Yeah. No, I, do you know what? I feel exactly the same. Like, Days of Future Past is my personal favorite as well. Um, because I love I love the multiple timelines and the, the fact that they go between the, obviously, the newer cast and the original cast. I think that's why I was so excited for Apocalypse. And then I was so let down by apocalypse um and i do feel very much like and i know that we're talking different timelines but if we compare the actors in these movies to their original counterparts and bearing in mind the original movie came out in the year 2000 so canonically this movie being set in the 90s there's only a a 10 year age difference between these characters uh and when i'm talking about um Charles and Eric specifically to Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen characters and obviously the the other actors um, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen look considerably older (laughs) than um, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender so and I know we're talking different timelines because the timeline split in Days of Future Past but still I mean there's there's a certain amount of unbelievability in that for me like how did they get from how do you go from michael fassbender to ian mckellen in 10 years i just yeah that just doesn't make sense Um, honestly i don't even think about that stuff with these movies because in the end it's a movie no i know and and to be honest the way you think is probably the way that i should think (laughs) because (laughs) because i obviously put far too much thought into this franchise and into you know, movies in general. Um, and that's obviously, uh, that's my issue. Um, but Oh, no, no, it is not an issue. <laughs> like, you are a film geek. <laughs> Wear it, it, be proud of it. Uh, no, I absolutely <laughs> am. But then I, sometimes I wish that I could, I could look at it in that way and just go, yeah, but it's a movie. So, you know, I'll just, I'll just leave it as it is. But my brain doesn't work like that. And I'm constantly kind of, comparing and that's probably not the right thing to do in a sense of enjoyment of these movies um but i can't help but compare them because i'm such a fan of the franchise and and the franchise means so much to me um and i've i've brought it up a couple of times before talking about x-men as just kind of a, an entity um the movies and the cartoon specifically about how much it meant to me as a child to 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 understand that being different was okay and that you know the x-men i found like a group of characters that i felt that i could relate to um even though i didn't have special powers um 
but I felt I always felt a bit different as a child and I didn't and obviously you kind of get conditioned to oh you've got to act a certain way if if you're a girl you've got to do certain things certain ways you know you've got to play with certain toys etc etc and I never wanted to do that so I was like well I don't understand why I don't like girl things because I never really have liked girly things and it was it was the x-men that kind of although it's obviously talking about something different and you know the x-men has always been a bit of a a metaphor for lgbt people and i'm not a member of the lgbt community but i always felt like i was different to other girls my age and watching the x-men and understanding that you know actually being different is great like you should embrace your difference and you know, you should find people who are like you and embrace it with them. And that's obviously why I'm here. Like, that's why I'm podcasting is to, you know, to converse with people who think the same as me, you know, people like you. And and it makes me feel like part of a community. And that's what I love. So, um, yeah, the the X-Men means so much to me. Um, And that's another reason why I'm so sad that this is not the ending that I expected and I think the 10-year gap is a part of that I think that it hasn't worked well to have those gaps and I the early movies I understood why because they wanted to include certain events that happened in the real world at that time but now it just it just feels like it's it's a bit of an afterthought um, and no real care or attention has gone into why are those movies set 10 years after if this movie had happened soon after Apocalypse and it explained the aftermath of Apocalypse and what that meant to the world, then that might mean a bit more. But it, as it stands, it doesn't, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Mm. Um, so we talked a little bit earlier about it's seriously underperformed at the box office. And it's it's pretty much, I think, considered a flop. It's come out. I think when I saw it... I'm just trying to remember how many people. I think it was maybe me and my sister and maybe six other people in the whole cinema screen. Um, and that was it. And that was, it was a Saturday it opened. So that was opening, wow. that was opening weekend. Six other people in the theatre? Yes. <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah i think the general buzz about this movie even before it came out was just so negative that people just didn't want to even see it so i went to see the movie on june 16th uh father's day in the uh, u.s but um i actually just went with one of my one of my good friends from college because uh, she recently moved to dallas and we meet up once in a while so we were like oh i want to go see dark phoenix how about you she was like oh yeah i love i love x-men let's go see yeah. it and at the time i watched it it was it was a good movie experience but it's like like you said ultimately disappointing in the flop <laughs> uh aside from you know all the great things that we already mentioned um but yeah it was it was not it was not a good ending for the franchise no and obviously bad word of mouth which essentially is what this movie has got i think it's currently at 22% on rotten tomatoes so 
you know, bad word of mouth is essentially going to kill this movie completely out of uh, out of cinemas. So because if people know that it's bad, then they're not going to spend their hard-earned money on watching it. So it's um I I can't see a scenario where it will magically all of a sudden revive and come back or, you know, um even you can't even rely on DVD and Blu-ray sales anymore because people don't really buy DVD and Blu-ray apart from me. Um, and I don't even know if I'm going to buy this. I probably will because I have a little Blu-ray X-Men collection. So I did buy Apocalypse for that. So I probably will buy this on Blu-ray, but only because I feel like my collection wouldn't be complete without it. But that's the only reason. And that's, that's a bit sad, (laughs) really. I think it's a multitude of different things of why it's, it's failed. Um, yeah and um i just want to mention one quick thing before we move on like my my two cents about another reason why it underperformed um it's not your typical superhero formula movie where you've got a bunch of good guys facing a bunch of bad guys Mm. and um we both mentioned this earlier it's just more emotional and psychological with Jean. Yeah. And it's less about a mission to save the world or, you know, mankind. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely agree with you on that point. And like I mentioned earlier, even if someone did enjoy the movie and say to a friend, oh, you should see the latest X-Men movie. And they say, oh, well, what's it about? And they and then they, they tell their friend, oh, well, it's it's about the psychological impact of the phoenix on Jean Grey, then the other person might go, hold on, I don't want to see that. Like, where's the explosions and the amazing sequences and fight scenes and and all of that? Like, and Honestly, (laughs) if one of my friends asked me, should I go see Dark Phoenix, my honest opinion would just be, Maybe wait for it to come on Netflix or Hulu or something. (laughs) Yeah, to be honest, that would probably be my response as well. Just because obviously uh, a cinema ticket costs a reasonable amount of money anyway. And I kind of feel like if I said to a friend, oh, definitely go see Dark Phoenix, that they might sort of be a bit cross that I'd made them spend that money on a movie that actually wasn't all that great mm-hmm. so yeah I think it's just going to be a, a bit of a snowball effect now because I think the movie will very shortly disappear from cinemas because people just aren't interested in it and if it's if it's got bad word of mouth people are going to be less interested and I think it's just going to be one of those that I think disappears quite quickly um, and yeah I mean obviously streaming services Disney are going to be launching their own streaming service soon oh right disney plus yeah so i expect now that they own fox i expect all of the x-men movies will be on there at some point and possibly this one will premiere on their streaming service yay another streaming service to pay for. exactly <laughs> exactly and that's the thing is that it's it's all about the streaming services now and and i've been on an r because we're not going to get disney plus for a while anyway because obviously it will come out in the states first but then when it comes out here, I'm like, do I want it? Do I want to pay that much? And then I'm like, but they Disney own everything. <laughs> so if you don't have it, then you don't get any of the Pixar stuff, the Fox stuff, 
the Marvel stuff. And I'm just like, and obviously Disney's original back catalogue. And I'm like, I think I need Disney Plus. I think I do. Because they own everything now. <laughs> oh, and Star Wars, obviously. Um, all of Lucasfilm. Oh, yeah. So Oh, man. So, yeah, basically Disney own everything <laughs> is essentially what we're saying. Um, speaking of which, um, obviously Disney have now acquired Fox and all that Fox own. Um, so, obviously, they now own the rights to the X-Men, to Fantastic Four. Uh, which were obviously both previously owned by Fox. So we probably will see uh, the Fantastic Four in the MCU at some point, And inevitably, we will probably also see the X-Men. Um, they've said it's probably not going to happen. I think they've said for five years. I think five years is a good amount of time to just wait. Yeah, I think we need to let the dust settle. On this franchise now, definitely. Um, yes. And maybe, I mean, you never know. They might want to do a Gambit movie. Fingers crossed. <laughs> they they might want to do a Rogue movie. And Rogue is, is someone who I feel the movies have particularly underserved. Um, by essentially making her a mix of Rogue and Jubilee. With more Jubilee than Rogue. And to me, Rogue is not supposed to be a schoolgirl. She's supposed to be a woman. Mm -hmm. And because I'd love to see Rogue portrayed properly. And that's not a diss to Anna Paquin because I think she's a very good actress, but I just never really meshed with the character of Rogue in those movies. I think we are definitely going to see these characters again. They're not going to be the same actors. I think we need to say goodbye, sadly, to James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, which is sad because they are amazing um and i think we we're obviously we know we need to say goodbye to hugh jackman because they will recast wolverine even though as i've said it should be laura um but i don't think they will use uh, daphne Keane, but they should do you have any thoughts about what you would like to see disney do with the characters do you have any suggestions for them uh, if they're listening <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't have any su uh, suggestions just because I don't like to think too much about it mm -hmm. because if I have high hopes on something and it doesn't happen or it does happen and it flops, <laughs> then yeah. I'm just like, well, that's just great. <laughs> um, but in terms of an X-Men character who I'd like to see more of... um. Growing up, I watched the X-Men Evolution animated series. It was airing on um, Kids, Kids WB, and I was, I was in elementary school at the time, and I fell in love with Shadowcat oh, in yeah. the animated series. So, and I also loved Ellen Page in the, in the franchise movies. Yes. Uh, she's one of my favorite uh, actors. Mm -hmm. So... I would like to see the character Shadowcat come back again. And obviously they didn't have the dragon in the franchise, but maybe that's something Disney can consider. Well, if Disney are listening, <laughs> which I can't guarantee they are. In fact, they probably aren't. Um, but I would say you never know. Um, you do, We just don't know what they're going to do with these characters. But I think... When you're talking about the X-Men, you've got so many characters that... So many possibilities. Yeah, exactly. And 
as fans of the X-Men, I think that Disney and Marvel specifically, Marvel up until now has known what it's doing with the majority of its characters. Um, there have been some missteps, but overall, I think that they know what they're doing and they know what they need to do. So I do have confidence in Kevin Feige that he will treat the X-Men and the Fantastic Four correctly. Um, whether that will happen, I think only time will tell, but I, I do have faith in Kevin Feige to do the right thing. So it's it's obviously going to be up to them, but I think that, yeah, we just got to wait and see. Um, so we're going to round up the discussion now because um, obviously um, we're, we're coming to the end of the issues section. So I think, to be honest, we did have quite a few good points as well as quite a few issues. So I think ultimately they're balancing out a little bit because I didn't want to be in a situation where we had no good points and all of the issues uh, because that's not great. Um, there are good points about this movie and I think we've made it clear that there are. If I was to ask you to rank the newer movies, so I'm talking First Class, Days of Future Past, Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix, how would you rank them from your favourite to your least favourite? Days of Future Past, mm -hmm. First Class. Mm -hmm. I don't remember that much from Apocalypse. Which is a bad sign. <laughs> That's um, not a bad thing. <laughs> uh, okay, because I don't remember much from Apocalypse, I'm going to put Dark Phoenix at number three and Apocalypse at number four. Okay. Well, that's interesting because my I thought about mine as well and mine was Days of Future Past first class i mean to be honest if this is it's not particularly difficult because you know we know which are the good ones and which are the bad ones but then i thought about apocalypse and dark phoenix and i would put apocalypse above dark phoenix um but only because apocalypse feels like more of an x-men movie than dark phoenix there was there was definitely more action yeah. in apocalypse now that i think about it yeah but that does not mean that apocalypse is it's difficult to rank them i think because they are apocalypse and dark phoenix are very different i think the performances are better in dark phoenix but i think apocalypse is more of an x-men movie so okay yeah um that's really the only reason that's the only reason dark phoenix would be at the end but again, that doesn't mean it's like 100% terrible. Um, it's just it's just a ranking. Um, mm -hmm. So before I let you go, Chin Lin, um, I wanted to ask you, because obviously we've talked a little bit about the franchise and obviously we can't go into the franchise in detail because we would literally be here forever because there's so many movies. But I guess I just wanted to sort of get from you your your favourite X-Men movie of all time. And, I mean, if you want to split it into kind of original, and obviously we know Data Future Past is your favourite out of the newer ones, and then I think we could probably guess what your favourite sort of spin-off um, would be. But, oh, yeah, yeah I already said it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, what? so what is your favourite of the original trilogy? So, of the original, X2 was my favourite. So good. Um, 
of the newer films, obviously Days of Future Past, and then Logan for the spinoff. Do you know what? My choices are exactly the same as yours. Oh my god! <laughs> Seriously, I I love. Oh X2. my my audio thing just went really high. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably my voice. Sorry. <laughs> I, That's so cool. I, yeah. I mean, there's like there's like what twelve movies? One, two, three, I think so. four, five, six, seven. Eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oh, twelve! Yeah. Hey, I counted yeah. it right. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm looking at the list on Google, so it's including Deadpool. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because canonically, obviously, it, it is a spin-off. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I I do enjoy Deadpool a lot. I think it's hilariously funny. But as a movie, Logan is it's just perfection. I mean, you can't get better than Logan. Um, and X two. That opening scene in the White House with um, Nightcrawler is just... Oh, it's it's genuinely my favourite opening scene of all time in any movie ever made. I think it's phenomenal. Um, and, yeah, X2 generally and Days of Future Past of the new, as I mentioned before, the mix of the old and the new. I absolutely adore Days of Future Past. Um so yeah, we had exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one reason why I picked Days of Future Past is because I'm a huge geek when it comes to time travel. Me too. So anything that has a little bit of time travel, I'm gonna want to watch at some point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, yeah, yeah, but- definitely. Just before we end, um, I as I mentioned earlier, I did ask online for feedback on uh, facebook instagram and twitter um on dark phoenix um i did get a comment on instagram but it was actually a comment from a person who hadn't seen the movie um so i'm not going to include it because a they've not seen the movie and it was basically just saying how he thinks it looks like a good movie so i just commented back and i said well i think you should see it but otherwise I haven't had very many comments um, on Twitter, which is interesting considering the movie has just come out. Um, and normally I get quite a few comments when I when I ask people for thoughts on movies. Um, and I know quite a few people have seen this movie, um, but maybe they don't want to say or maybe they didn't see that I was looking for comments. I'm not sure. But um, so I had four. Um, so I'm just going to go through them. Uh, so on Twitter, um, at, at the Flix Pod said, I saw this earlier this week. I thought it was emotionally sterile. The two big emotional beats just did not work and one was spoiled by being in the trailer. Another poor blockbuster in a summer of poor blockbusters. Which is a very fair point, actually. The, this summer we've had a few franchise blockbusters that have come out and... Apart from Endgame, obviously, which was literally the biggest thing ever, I think. Everything else has just been really lacklustre and, and a bit poor. Um, which is obviously disappointing. Um, but I think that's just the way of Hollywood with blockbuster movies. They rely on franchises. And as we've seen with Dark Phoenix, sometimes the franchise just doesn't work. Um, and we mentioned earlier about the big emotional points for example, the death of Mystique, I didn't feel any emotion at all to her death whatsoever. So it, I think it was emotionally sterile. I think the only person who wasn't was Sophie Turner. 
but you can't expect her to carry the burden of all of the emotional impact of the whole movie i think that's unfair so yeah i think that again a very valid point at your on claude nine uh, which is my friend claudia said um like in the comics i wish the hellfire club would have more of a larger role in the films mostly sebastian shaw and emma frost also one of my most favorite memories of childhood is watching the saga on the x-men cartoon which again is my first experience of the dark phoenix saga was on the original cartoon um so and then uh, at dr shades 24 replied to claudia saying they butchered x-men hopefully marvel studios does it proper <laughs> oh uh, my <laughs> yeah it they haven't done brilliantly um with this movie and the previous movie so i do think that marvel studios does have either a blessing or a curse it, it could be seen as both but i think as long as they give it time and they treat the characters with respect um then i think that they i think that they will do fine with it um in a few years time but yeah and then lorraine from at smtp cast um she actually dm'd me to say i was a bit disappointed in dark phoenix the action scenes were epic though that train it just lacked in story it was very disjointed and did not flow like the others i don't feel the character of book worked it wasn't explored enough i'm a huge x-men fan and so desperately wanted to enjoy this but found myself a little bored when the scenes solely relied on dialogue which to be fair i think is a really good summary of pretty much everything we've said so far I agree with you, Lorraine. Yeah. A hundred percent. hundred percent, Lorraine. You have literally summarised this whole episode <laughs> in, <laughs> in four lines. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting, I guess, when, because sometimes when you get comments, you can get a range of comments and usually the movies that I feature on Verbal Diorama, it's usually very positive comments because people go, oh, I love that movie. It's great. You know, I've got great memories of that movie. And then for this, it's just like the comments feel lackluster, but then the movie felt lackluster as well. So you can't really expect anyone to be all like, oh, wow, I love that movie because the movie is lackluster. It, the comments are completely deserving of the movie or the movie is deserving of the comments. I mean, um, so it is what it is. And, <laughs> and that's and that's kind of. I feel like we're we're kind of finishing on on a bit of a, a low point, but it, it it is what it is. Um, it's not terrible, but it's really not fantastic, and it should be fantastic. Um, so um, so anyway, um, we have obviously reached the end of the show. Um, so what I want to give you now, Chin Lin, before I say goodbye to you. Um, obviously, firstly, I want to thank you for coming on Verbal Diorama and talking to me about Dark Phoenix. It's been really wonderful to talk to you and to get your opinions. And so obviously, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I want to obviously give you an opportunity to plug your show. And I want you to obviously tell people where they can find you and how they can listen to you guys. Well, no, thank thank you for having me on, Em. Uh, it's always nice to be able to be a guest on someone else's podcast. Um, so everyone can find the Bingeables podcast on Twitter at Bingeables Pod. That's B-I-N 
G-E-A-B-L-E-S-P-O-D. Um, honestly, we're only on Twitter because I didn't want to manage more social media accounts than I already currently manage, mm -hmm. and I feel the most comfortable on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I can just get the most engagement out of Twitter. I've been using Twitter since like 2010. <laughs> so um, sorry, guys, we're just on Twitter. But um, you can listen to the Bingeables podcast on Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, we're on Anchor as well, and Anchor will like... Uh, take it to like some of the smaller platforms um i think radio public is one of them um i i don't have the whole list memorized but i should probably like make a list at some point <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think i think we're on like 10 total but yeah we are on the major ones yeah so it should be pretty easy for people to find you yeah great well um as i said Thank you to Chin Lin for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Verbal Diorama. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Dark Phoenix or the X-Men movies in general. I'm always happy to talk about the X-Men movies. My next episode will be out in two weeks and I have another special guest on that episode. Um, I've kind of gone for like a big block booking of special guests. And obviously this will be my last special guest for a little while and then I'm going to go back to doing some solo shows. But this uh, guest is actually going to be Jason from Wulong Talks. I was on his show um, a couple of months ago and we had such a wonderful time. He's such a lovely guy. And together we're going to be looking at the movie that I've loved every damn day for 20 years. 1999's The Mummy starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. And um, expect a full-on love-in for that one, especially for Evie, because she's the best. Uh, if you like this episode, I've also done episodes on Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992-2009, and Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. And they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Verbal Diorama. You can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. If you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, you can do so on iTunes. And I obviously really appreciate that. Or if you want to buy me a coffee, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash verbaldiorama. Thanks again for listening. Uh, I will see you next time. And my telepathic powers are telling me that you're going to press stop now. <laughs>